0: Scripture verse this morning is Psalms one hundred and forty-four, fifteen, reading from the New King James Version. Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. It is fantastic to see this good crowd here this morning. I'm delighted that you're here. It has been pointed out to me that there are three kinds of people in the world, those who can do math and those who can't. Come on now, this, this is going to take a while. And there are two groups of people that I want to express my appreciation to this morning. Number one, those who invited a friend or a family member to come and be a part of this service today. Or secondly, those who accepted an invitation like that to come, and you're our honored guest, and we're delighted that you have accepted that invitation to be with us today. And I want you to know that even though we're only having one service today, that uh, our time here is so valuable. What we're doing is so important. The meal that we're, I mean, there was just a stir of excitement in the air this morning, and I realized that was just at the door where the food was coming in. I mean, there were some people who were excited about all the food that was being uh, put out to be served for our lunch in just a few minutes. I also am humbled by the fact that I am the only thing that stands between you and lunch. So (laughs) I I want you to know that, and and I'm not going to take a great deal of your time. When we were discussing this special day, and um, the young lady who was in charge of advertising and and having some uh, door hangers and cards printed up, Said, Randy, you have any idea what you're going to be speaking on? And almost immediately I said, Happiness is a choice. And one of the reasons for that is because happiness is a universal desire. I've never met anyone in my entire life in their right mind who doesn't want to be happy. And so we're going to talk about something that is as of universal interest. And, uh, but I, I want us to focus with laser-like intensity on the subject of happiness in a rather different way. We've talked about this before, and, and those who are members here know that I've discussed this before. But I want us to think about happiness in terms of happiness not being something that happens to you. It's not just something that you wake up with in the morning. It is something that you have decided to do. And, and I, I hope that we understand that. Uh, Abraham Lincoln agreed, and I'm glad, otherwise I wouldn't be able to use this quote. He said, it has been my observation that most people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. And I want us to think about that for just a few minutes together this morning. I know that there are millions of individuals on the face of this planet who really, really want to be happy. But they just don't know how. Most people do not realize that the secret simply lies in our own mental makeup, and in God's owner's manual that we refer to as the Bible. Now I need to begin this study with a proviso and that is I need you to know that those who pursue happiness as their primary objective in most, in most cases are never going to find it. If happiness is your number one desire in life then the likelihood is that you're never really going to be very happy. And we're going to explain why that dynamic works that way in just a few minutes. But secondly I also hope you appreciate and especially those of you who are already God's people, that happiness is not God's primary objective and desire for you either. I've had people sit in my office who are trying to rationalize some errant behavior, and they'll ask this question, but Randy, don't you think that God wants me to be happy? I've come up with this very easy answer. No. God really doesn't want you to be happy. That's not his primary objective for his people. He wants you to be holy. But you see, God knows and God's people know because we've read the book that if we are attempting to be holy in our lives we're also going to have a great deal of happiness. We're going to be as happy as we can possibly be living on this sin-cursed earth. And so that's the secret that I want us to really focus on for a few minutes together this morning. And we can all make up our minds to harbor either pleasant or unpleasant thoughts. What's going on in our minds is going to determine whether or not we're really happy people, at least in the long term. And I know this, Proverbs 23, 7, Solomon said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You make the decision every day as to what kind of thoughts that you're going to allow to dominate your thinking on a daily basis. You improve your attitude, you improve your outlook, and you're going to bring more happiness into your own life as well as into the lives of others. But proper attitude has to be coupled with proper action for happiness to come and stay. So it isn't just what you're thinking about, it is what you're doing in response to or based upon your thought life that determines whether or not you're going to be a happy individual. That is, whether or not you're going to be God's son or God's daughter. Now here's the problem, and you probably knew that before you came in this morning. Most people say they want to be happy, but then they aren't willing to do the things necessary to bring it about in their lives. Or the things they are doing, thinking that it will bring happiness, are not the right things. In fact, the worldly approach is the exact wrong approach because it typically centers on me. What will make me happy? And there are a lot of people who are going through this world asking that question. I don't have to tell you that. People are walking around going, what will it take? What can you do for me to make me happy? And that's the wrong approach. An already self-centered society is going to come no nearer finding happiness if we're encouraged to focus even more on ourselves and our own selfish ambitions and desires. So the good book teaches that one of the best ways to acquire happiness in your own life is to go to work trying to make someone else happy. Set another way, the way up is down. Scripture says if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you must become the servant of all. Learning how to serve and to try to make other people happy is the only way that we're going to have any degree of happiness in our lives. In fact, someone has said happiness can be compared to a boomerang. If you throw it properly, and by the way, I learned many years ago that there's a trick to throwing a boomerang. When I lived in the Chattanooga area, a brother in Christ showed me how to throw a boomerang, and I was doing it exactly the opposite way. But if you do it right, it will come back to you every time, and that's true with our pursuit of happiness as well. It's a double-win situation. The person that you're trying to make happy wins because he or she knows that someone... (laughs) actually is concerned, that they actually care about them enough to try to bring a little happiness, a little ray of sunshine into their lives, and you win because you've shown love and concern and a Christ-like spirit. Perhaps this at least is in part what Solomon had in mind when in Ecclesiastes 11 verse 1 he said, Cast your bread upon the waters, for it will return unto you after many days. Said another way, what goes around comes around. You try to make enough people happy, you encourage enough people, guess what? You're going to find that people are going to be encouraging you. And they're going to be bringing happiness into your life as well. There is no doubt. Our brains become magnetized with the dominating thoughts that we embrace in our minds. Over in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What Jesus wanted his disciples then and now to know is that what is in the well comes out in the water. Whatever it is that you're thinking about is going to come out through your lips. That's what you're going to be talking about. What you've been allowing to dominate your thought pattern for the most of your life is going to come out in your speech. And Jesus said you need to be careful about what you talk about. But even more fundamentally than that, even more foundationally, you need to be careful about what you think about We can control and foster the magnetism of godly and happy thoughts in our minds. Paul told us that in Philippians 4 verse 8. He gave us a list of things to think about. There's always plenty of good things to dominate your thought life if only you will make the choice and you'll make the effort. So as Christians, I'm here to announce that we have every reason to be the happiest people on the planet. Our past has been forgiven, our present is meaningful, and our future is secure All we've got to do is to work on the contentment and happiness part of it. We need to be happy in the knowledge that our Lord has redeemed us, that he's washed our sins away, and that our future is secure. But we need to also realize first and foremost that happiness is, in fact, a choice, while misery is always optional. I presented this lesson over in the Atlanta area some years ago, and there was a guy who ran a T-shirt print shop that that Sunday night came back and gave me a T-shirt On the front, it says, happiness is a choice. On the back, it says, but misery is always optional. And I still have that T-shirt. I love it because that is really what God is communicating to us through his word. You make up your mind right now to be the joy-filled person that God said that you can and that you should be. Remember, it was from a Roman prison that Paul wrote, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Philippians 4 verse 4. David was the one who said in Psalm 118, 24, This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So David is saying you need to make the choice to rejoice. Here's how. Number one, to realize that happiness is relative. It's like the woman down in Texas who was asked, How's your husband? She said, As compared to what? You know, it's it's comparative. Happiness is a relative commodity. So that's the first thing that we need to get straight. Now, I I think when I was growing up, all the destitute children I heard about lived in China. Some of you know where I'm going with that. As per the dinner table conversation, you need to eat your vegetables because there are starving children in China who would love to have what you have in front of you. Now, I'm going to admit to you folks that, that the message that I got then was mixed. That is, am I supposed to eat my vegetables so that really hungry kids can't get them? (laughs) But the point that I eventually understood was that while some of us may complain about having to eat vegetables in this, our great country, there are a lot of people in this world who would love to have anything to eat. Amen? While we may complain about having the wrong brand or label on our clothes or shoes, There are a lot of people who live in third world countries in this world and some not even in third world countries who would love to have adequate clothing and shoes, period. Dear Abby once received a letter from a 15-year-old girl that read as follows, and because it is Dear Abby's column, that means that this is a rather dated, so stay with and update in your mind the terminology. The letter from the 15-year-old fir- thir- girl read like this. Happiness is knowing that your parents won't kill you if you come home late. Happiness is having your own bedroom, your own TV, VCR combo, and your own phone line. See, that's the dated part. Happiness is getting the phone call you've been praying for. Happiness is getting good grades and making your parents proud of you. Happiness is being a member of a popular circle at school. Happiness is is having parents who don't fight. Happiness is knowing that you are as well-dressed as anybody. Happiness is something I don't have, signed, 15, and unhappy. Shortly after Abby published that letter in her syndicated column, she published this letter that was written by a 13-year-old girl in response to the first letter. Dear Abby, happiness, happiness is being able to walk. Happiness is being able to talk. Happiness is being able to see. Unhappiness is reading a letter from a 15 year old girl who can do all things and still says she isn't happy. I can talk, I can hear, but I can't walk. Signed 13, but still happy. Today, up on the bus, I saw a lovely maid with golden hair. I envied her. She seemed so bright, I wished I were as fair. Then I saw her rise to leave, saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one crutch, one foot, And a crutch, but as she passed, a smile. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two feet, the world is mine. And then going down the street, I stopped to watch some children play. I saw a lad with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. It seemed he knew not what to do. Why don't you join the others, dear? He looked ahead without a word. And then I knew he could not hear. God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears, the world is mine. And then I stopped to buy some sweets. The lad who sold them was so kind. He said, it's nice to talk to folks like you. You see, he said, I'm blind. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes. The world is mine. So with feet to take me where I would go, and with ears to hear what I should know, and eyes to see the sunsets glow, oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I am blessed indeed. The world is mine. I'm here to tell you that happiness is relative. And we will come much closer to that elusive goal if we will spend our time counting our many blessings. Are you hearing me, church? Instead of enumerating our many woes. Happiness is relative. Secondly, happiness is not bound up or tied to the abundance of the things that we possess. Now, if you've read this book, you know that already. And you know how many times the Bible addresses that very subject. The Bible tells us that life is... Well, you're not going to read this in the King James, but I'm going to tell you that that life is a great deal like a bumper sticker. If you read bumper stickers at all, and if you've gone down the boulevard or Atlanta Highway enough, you've gotten stuck behind somebody, and you're forced to read bumper stickers. And I suspect that bumper stickers say something about the opinions and the values of the person who put that sticker there that are very similar to the kinds of messages that you sometimes see on T-shirts. And that is, I'm simply saying if a person is wearing a T-shirt that endorses, you know, an alcoholic beverage or a drug, you're going to assume that that person uses those or at least wants us to think that he does. But w- one day, I read a bumper sticker that said this about what we're talking about this morning, and it said, if you don't think that money can buy happiness, then you don't know where to shop. I got a, a little chuckle out of that. I saw another one that was very similar to that that said, money may not buy happiness, but it can make you miserable in a better neighborhood. I like that <laughs> And it's, and it's pretty funny. But I'm also uh, under the understanding, and I believe that you are as well, that it reflects the age-old belief and the mistaken notion that, that money really can buy happiness. That if you've got enough financial standing and enough zeros after, your ba- after the number in your bank account, then, then you're going to be a happy person. And yet you look at life and you see that that is not the way it works. In fact, it sometimes seems like it's in inverse proportion. There are a lot of people in this world, the more money they have, the more miserable they are. And you're thinking all the while, but I really believe I could handle it. Can money buy happiness? Let's ask a couple of people who are in positions to know whether the, the implications of that bumper sticker are, in fact, correct. Let's inquire of Solomon, the last king of Israel. You may know that he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes in which he goes through the laboratory of life, trying to find the things that will give him meaning, purpose, and happiness. And all 12 chapters are devoted to that singular purpose. In the opening chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes, here's what Solomon claimed for himself, and that's why I'm saying that this is coming from someone who was in a position to know. You see, if you go through life and you don't ever have much money, then then you can't go around bragging to others, well, money doesn't buy happiness. Well, how would you know? You never had any. But Solomon was the richest man of his time. He was the Bill Gates of the ancient world, and so he knew what it was like to have everything that you could ever imagine and some things that only, that you can only imagine. In the second chapter... Of the book of Ecclesiastes, here's what he claimed for himself. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Did you get that? Anything that Solomon looked at, he had the ability to go out and purchase. In fact, let's buy it in bulk form his shopping list included the following. This comes, by the way, from verses 4 through 10 of the second chapter of Ecclesiastes. It included houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, all kinds of fruit trees, reservoirs to water those trees, male and female servants, larger herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem had ever owned, huge amounts of silver and gold, men and women singers. You see, he didn't have a Bose radio, so he just had live singers come in and sing him to sleep, even a harem that he referred to as the Delight's of the heart of men how would you feel if you had been able to shop for so much how would you feel if you were able to claim all of that on your 1040 form maybe not the way solomon felt listen to his assessment of all those things in verse 11 chapter 2 yet when i surveyed all that my hand had done and how i had a toiled a toil to achieve everything was meaningless It was a chasing after the wind, and nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon is telling us that if he had a bumper sticker on his chariot, it would read, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. Money will not bring you happiness, even large amounts of it. Second, listen to Jesus' response to this philosophy about happiness. If I really believe in my heart of hearts that if I had enough money, I could write enough checks, I could swipe that card enough times, I could really be happy. And Jesus' response to that formula reads like this. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he goes on right after that to tell and to give a parable to his disciples about a rich man whose fields produced an unusually bountiful harvest. And the fellow thought he had it made. You remember that guy? He said, I will eat, drink, and be merry. And he thought that he had life by the tail, and yet for two reasons, in that parable, God referred to this man as fool. Number one, because he thought that he had a perpetual lease on life. And yet God said to him this night, your soul will be required of you. This night, you're going to be carried off this farm feet first. Did you know that? He He thought that his future life on earth was guaranteed. And secondly, because the Bible specifically spells it out in in that parable, because he was not rich toward God. That just means he had no spiritual resources. That he was not spiritually prepared to be carried off the farm feet first. He was not ready to meet his God. You know, it doesn't really matter how much shopping a person may be able to do. Money still doesn't buy happiness. In fact, it does not even result in lasting relationships. They do not obtain for us the love, the affection, the devotion on the part of our mates, our children, and certainly not on the part of our God. You can't buy that with money. The only place to shop for inner peace, contentment, and happiness is in a right relationship with our Creator, and that's what I want us to end with this morning. We've already answered the question then, where do you get real happiness? How can happiness come into your life and stay there? It is in a right relationship with your Creator. And I imagine coming into a church this this morning, if this is the first time you've ever been in a Church of Christ building or in, in a, a building of any kind, of a religious nature, you probably know that already. Happiness is like the elusive pot at the end of the rainbow. People who pursue it never find it. However, I'm here to announce to you this morning, and here's what I really want you to take home with you if you forget everything else. Happiness is not a destination. Happiness is a way of traveling toward a destination happiness will be granted to you if you're traveling on the right road and going in the right direction in fact it might be a lot simpler than we ever imagined let me share with you very quickly an Andy Rooney very short article some of you remember Andy Rooney and how that he was on on 60 Minutes for what 120 years I think he was y'all remember Andy Rooney right the eyebrows that birds would nest in anyway that Andy Rooney But he was a wise man. And here's what he said about the subject of happiness. For most of life, nothing wonderful happens. And if you don't enjoy getting up and working and finishing your work and sitting down to a meal with your family or friends, then the chances are you're not going to be happy. And if someone bases his happiness or unhappiness on major events like a great new job or huge amounts of money or a flawlessly happy marriage or a trip to Paris, that person isn't going to be happy most of the time. If, on the other hand, happiness depends on a good breakfast, having flowers in the yard, a cool drink when you're thirsty, or or a good nap, then you're most likely going to have quite a bit of happiness in your life. You see, more importantly, the writer of Proverbs in this good book has some interesting and accurate observations on the subject of happiness. And he said, here is, by the way, I challenge you to do a word study as you walk through the book of Proverbs, because he really does say a great deal about this subject. For example, he says that the happy person is the one who finds, gains, and retains wisdom and understanding. That's chapter 3, verse 13. Who has mercy on the poor, chapter 14, 21. Who trusts in the Lord, chapter 16, verse 20. Who's always reverent and respectful toward God, chapter 28, 14. Who always keeps the law, chapter 29, verse 18. Now what I want us to notice about that list of things that are necessary for happiness, that Solomon, the wisest mortal who ever lived, has compiled for us is that those characteristics do not involve money, location, education, possessions, or the actions and attitudes of other people toward us. It's interesting to note that none of those things that we would put on our list that are requisites for happiness are things that Solomon lists at all when he says, here's what a happy person looks like. Happiness is not a place. Happiness is not an ideal set of circumstances. Happiness is a state of mind. When one can truthfully say, no matter what's going on in your life at the present moment, no matter how negative the circumstances may be right now, when you can say, it is well with my soul, you're going to be a happy person, as happy as a person can be while living on this planet. Now, it's certainly true that others can interrupt our happiness temporarily, even when you're trying to be responsible and do the right thing, but still through it all, God says, I've brought peace to you. There's going to be an inner peace and a joy that cannot and will not be disturbed by anything or anyone. Here's what Saul, or Paul rather, said about that in Philippians 4 and verse 7. Remember in verse 6 is when he said, don't worry about anything but pray about everything. Verse 7 he said, if you'll do that, then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want to end with a quick story if I may. You've been so patient. Stay with me for just another moment. It's entitled, The Terribly Tragically Sad Man, written by Lawrence Sebold. It's a parable for our modern times. And Sebold writes the following. Once there was a boy who lived in a big house on a hill. He loved dogs and horses and sports cars and music. He climbed trees and went swimming, played football, and admired pretty girls. Except for having to pick up after himself, he had a pretty nice life. And one day the boy said to God, I've been thinking. And I know what I want when I become a man. And what's that? Asked God. I want to live in a big house with a porch across the front and two St. Bernard's and a garden out back. And I want to marry a woman who is tall and very beautiful and kind and who has long black hair and blue eyes and who plays the guitar and sings in the clear high voice. Because he had a very specific dream. I want three strong sons to play football with. When they grow up, one will be a great scientist, one will be a senator, and the youngest will play for the New England Patriots. I want to be an adventurer who sails vast oceans, climbs tall mountains, and rescues people, and I want to drive a red Ferrari and never have to pick up after myself. And God said, that sounds like a nice dream, and I sure want you to be happy. One day playing football, the boy hurt his knee. And after that, he couldn't climb tall mountains or even tall trees, much less sail vast oceans. And so he studied marketing, and he started a medical supplies business. He married a girl who was very beautiful and very kind and had long black hair, but she was short and not tall. And she had brown eyes, not blue ones, and she couldn't play the guitar or even sing, but she prepared wonderful meals seasoned with rare Chinese spices and painted magnificent pictures of birds. Because of his business, he lived in a city near the top of a tall apartment building that overlooked the blue ocean and the city's twinkling lights. He didn't have room for two St. Bernard dogs, but, but he did have a fluffy cat. He had three daughters, all very beautiful. The youngest, who was in a wheelchair, was the loveliest. The three daughters loved their father very much, and they didn't play football with him. But sometimes they went to the park and tossed a frisbee except for the youngest, who sat under a tree strumming her guitar and singing lovely haunting songs. He made enough money to live comfortably, but he did not drive a red Ferrari. Sometimes he had to pick up things and put them away, even though they didn't belong to him. After all, he did have three daughters. And then one morning, the man awoke and remembered the dream that he had had when he was just a boy, I'm very sad, he said to his best friend. Why, asked his friend, because I dreamed of marrying a tall woman with black hair and blue eyes who could play the guitar and sing, and my wife can't play the guitar or sing, and she has brown eyes, and she's not tall. Well, your wife is very beautiful and very kind, said his friend, and she creates splendid pictures and delectable food, but the the man wasn't listening. I'm very sad, the man confessed to his wife one day. Why, asked the wife, because I once dreamed of living in a big house with a porch and having two St. Bernards and a garden out back, and instead I live in an apartment on the 47th floor. Our apartment is comfortable, and we can see the ocean from our couch, replied his wife, and we have love and laughter and paintings of birds and a fluffy cat, not to mention three beautiful children. But the man wasn't listening. I'm very sad, the man said to his therapist, why, asked the therapist, because I once dreamed that I would grow up to be a great adventurer. Instead, I'm a bald businessman with a bad knee. The medical supplies you sell have saved many lives, said the therapist, but the man wasn't listening, and so his therapist charged him $200 and sent him home. Finally, I'm very sad, the man said to his accountant. Why, said the accountant, because I once dreamed of driving a red Ferrari and never having to pick up after myself. Instead, I take public transportation, and sometimes I still have to clean up after my wife and daughters. But you still wear good suits. You eat at fine restaurants. You have toured Europe, said his accountant, but the man wasn't listening. And his accountant charged him $200 anyway because he was dreaming of driving a red Ferrari. I'm very sad, the man said to his minister. Why asked the minister? Because I once dreamed of having three sons a great scientist, a politician, and a quarterback. Instead, I have three daughters, and one of them can't even walk. But your daughters are beautiful and intelligent, said the minister. And they love you very much. And they've all done so well. And one is a nurse, another is the artist, and the youngest teaches music to children. But the man wasn't listening. And he was so sad that he became very sick and he lay in a white hospital room surrounded by nurses in white uniforms and tubes and wires connected his body to blinking machines that he had once sold to that very hospital. And he was terribly, tragically sad. His family and friends and minister gathered around his bed. They were all deeply sad too. Only his therapist and accountant were happy. And then one night when everyone... Except the nurses had gone home, the man said to God, Remember when I was a boy and I told you all the things I wanted? And God said it was a lovely dream. Why didn't you give me those things? Asked the man. It could have, said God. But I wanted to surprise you with all the things that you hadn't even dreamed of. I suppose you've noticed what I've given you. A kind, beautiful wife, a good business, a nice place to live, three lovely daughters, one of the best packages that I've ever put together. Yes, interrupted the man. But I thought you were going to give me what I really wanted. And I thought you were going to give me what I really wanted, said God. What did you want, asked the man. It never occurred to him that God would want anything. I wanted to make you happy with what I had given you, said God. The man lay in the dark all night thinking. And finally, he decided to dream a new dream, one that he wished that he had dreamed years before. He decided to dream that what he wanted most were the things that he already had. And the man got well and lived happily on the 47th floor, enjoying his children's beautiful voices, his wife's deep brown eyes, and her glorious paintings of birds. And at night, he glazed at the ocean, and he contentedly watched the lights of the city twinkling on one by one. I'm here to remind you this morning, good people, that happiness is the journey and not the destination. And the key to happiness is in being right with our God. And has little to do with the right designer label on our clothes, the opulence of the neighborhood in which we live, or the kind of car we drive. Jesus said, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And then verse 17 of John 13, he said, and if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Did you get that? It's possible to be even unhappier. I've known some miserable Christians because they know what God wants them to do, what he expects of them, but they're still not doing it. Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. So my message to you this morning would be this. Happiness is not found at the end of the rainbow. Happiness is found at the foot of the cross. And that's what we call you to this morning while we stand and while we sing.